Greeny with Mike Greenberg, the podcast. I don't know if I feel all that bad considering what went on if I am the Miami Heat after game one. It's Canty and Carlin in for Greeny on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app presented by Progressive Insurance. Christopher Jokic, Canty, good morning. I'd rather be Christopher Jokic, Canty, than Christopher Ja Canty. Oh. Is anybody oh. having a worse day than Ja Morant today? Oh, my goodness. And he's going to have to <laughs> sit on that for another week as the NBA Finals go on. Ooh. See, that was the equivalent to me, Canty, of, yeah, we're going to let you know after the Finals. That's like my mother saying, just wait till your father gets home. Yeah, wait till your father gets home. The more you mess around, the more you're going to find out. Well, Ja Morant is about to find out. Well, <laughs> unfor- unfortunately for the Miami Heat, they did find out about Jokic last night, and a lot that of people too. who haven't seen him found out about Jokic last night. So let's roll. Here we go! Go, go! Only one place to start. You never heard the word yeah. sweep coming out of my mouth with Miami. This now one I you're think is different. Sweep. Yes, I'm saying I'm holding a broom in my hand today. The first ever NBA Finals game for the Denver Nuggets is a win. And the Nuggets take game one. Canty, it wasn't a complete blowout. There were times that looked as if this game was going to get out of hand, but it never fully did because the Miami Heat were able to cut it to nine late. They end up losing by 11-104-93 in Denver in game one. But I don't feel like this was an abject nightmare for the Miami Heat at all. They don't come out of this game feeling like they can't win this series, at least if I'm Eric Spolstra, that's the way I would feel today because I played good enough defense. I limited them to 104 points, and I just didn't make open shots. Well, here's where I'll push back. I think it was a blowout. I mean, the Denver Nuggets essentially led wire to wire. I mean, the only time the Miami Heat led was in the early minutes of the game. Uh, the game spent the majority of the time with it being, you know, a, a 14 to 16 point margin. I think the lead for the Denver Nuggets got as big as 24. Mm-hmm. So it didn't necessarily feel like the Miami Heat threatened the Nuggets, even though they were able to cut it to single digits in clutch time last night. It just felt like the Nuggets were making enough plays down the stretch, and in particular, Jokic, who going into the third, fourth quarter, you're talking about a guy that only took five shots the entire game. But he was able to be dominant in that fourth quarter, had 12 points, also had several assists. And to me, that that is the story of the game, coupled with the fact that the Miami Heat couldn't throw it in the ocean, especially with their role players. How would you feel this morning if you're Eric Spolstra about what happened last night? I'm encouraged because that was a game that Miami, by and large, dictated the terms of engagement. Like the complexion of the game, the pace of the game was one that favors Miami. I mean, we know that Miami doesn't have the firepower offensively that the Nuggets do. Yet you saw the scoring. The game was in the low 100s. I mean, Denver scored 104 points. Like that, if you told me that Denver scored 104 points in game one, I would say that that's a game that the Miami Heat should win. And if the Miami Heat knocked down open shots, they would have won. On open three-pointers last night, the Miami Heat shot 5 of 17 from distance. Now, for contrast or context, the Miami Heat throughout the playoffs shot 46% on wide-open threes according to second spectrum. Last night was 29%. We keep going back to this concept of the Miami Heat not having the firepower. They don't offensively, but 
what they can do to offset that is knocking down three-point shots, especially open looks. And they didn't do a good job of that last night. And the combination of guys from Caleb Martin to Duncan Robinson to Max Strews, they were absolutely awful. Those three combined to be 2-23 from the field and 2-16 from three-point land. If that's how those guys are going to shoot, then Jay Williams is right. The Miami Heat going to get swept. They have no shot. If they don't knock down three-point shots, they cannot win this series. That has been the biggest differentiating factor from the team that we saw in the postseason versus the Heat team that we saw in the regular season. They got to make shots. They got to knock down threes. If they don't, they have no chance of competing at the same level as Denver is. Here's Eric Spolstra on what went wrong last night. You know, it always kind of could look different. You know, if a few of these threes uh, go down at the right time. Few of the layups, you know, right at the rim, or the short ones go go down at the right time. That also can kind of uh, change your perspective or uh, tenor uh, of how you think things are going. Um, but we we do need to do things uh, better. I think that part is clear. Look, it's going to be very difficult to try to find ways to guard Jokic and to do it consistently. He just is a monster in every mm-hmm. way possible. He's a monster scoring. He's a monster distributing, getting everybody involved. I mean, it's funny, Chris. His positioning on the floor is a metaphor for their entire offense in that he is the center of it in every single way. And when you watch him at the free throw line or at the top of the key, that's exactly what he is. He's in the middle of all of it. And he is not afraid to set screens. He will do whatever he needs to do to find the winning play and to find not just the good shot, but the great shot, if the great shot happens to be with him, he'll take it. And it, it's just, it's hard to imagine that you're really going to be able to do a, a whole lot that's going to shut him down. But I would say this. The most damaging part of his game to me has to do with making everybody else better. Mm. So there is, and, and I'm not Eric Spolstra, but there would be a temptation on my part to let him go out and get his, especially early in a game, so that I don't allow everybody else to get into a rhythm early. Hmm. What do you think? No, I, I, I don't. Here's, here's the problem with that. We know the guy can put up 50 points, and that can lead to a Nuggets win, too. Like, we've seen Jokic do it both ways throughout the regular season and the postseason, and I guess that's the challenge when defending a player like him. It's just that he's willing to do whatever it takes for his team to win. If he has to score 40-plus, he'll do that. If he has to you know, distribute and get 20 assists and his scoring is going to be down, relatively speaking, then he'll do that. He's okay with that. I don't know many superstars that okay that in game one of the NBA Finals, in his franchise's first NBA Finals appearance, is willing to only take five shots through the first three quarters of said game and be perfectly fine with that. But that's what Nikola Jokic showed yesterday. And so from a mindset standpoint, you have to really appreciate that this dude is as selfless as they come. And for a player of his ilk, an MVP caliber talent, a guy that's in the conversation for best player in the world, you're not accustomed to seeing that type of mindset. We talk about how much of the mindset – the Jimmy Butler sets for the Miami Heat and how that kind of sets the tone – for that entire franchise, well, Nikola Jokic does a similar thing for the Denver Nuggets, especially how they work on the offensive end. So, I, I mean, last night left me with a, a, a deeper appreciation 
for the type of player that Jokic is and his commitment to doing whatever it takes for his team to win. Now, that being said, when it comes to how the Heat defend Nikola Jokic, here's what I also saw last night. The length of the Denver Nuggets show up. In the half-court offense, it was clear that Miami wanted to resign Jokic to a situation where they isolated him and forced him to make difficult passes, and they wanted to jump the passing lanes. The only problem with that is because there's such a size disparity, especially with the front-line players for the Denver Nuggets, those guys can position themselves for deep catches in the paint and make plays at the rim. And we saw it in the first quarter with Aaron Gordon. How many times did Aaron Gordon get matched up against smaller guys? I mean, there was one time where he pinned Gabe Vincent under the basket, and there was nothing Gabe Vincent could do. And Nikola Jokic hits him with a perfect pass. It seemed like that happened all night through the first three quarters of that game. And then when it got to the point in the fourth quarter where it was closing time, Jokic took it upon himself to take care of business. Now, the other part that makes Jokic difficult to defend that way is Jamal Murray. Jamal Murray last night, especially in the first half, got it going, and that takes a lot of pressure off of Jokic in terms of feeling like he has to score. Murray had 18 of his 26 points in the first half of that game. So any strategy that Eric Spolster comes up with in game two has to involve not only how to limit Jokic, but how you can derail Jamal Murray from keeping 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 him from getting going offensively early on, getting going offensively early on in that game as well. Canty and Carlin, ESPN Radio, in for Greeny, presented by Progressive Insurance. I don't know right now that there's a better two-man game in the league between Murray and Jokic. There's because not. They, I mean, there's they're, not. They're just they're flat out dynamic in the in the way they work together. It's amazing. Now, Canty, the other thing I would say is, look, the Heat have got to be more aggressive. They are just settling for way too many jump shots last night. And I'm not going to get nuts on the officiating. The Heat didn't do enough to warrant getting to the free throw line. Yeah. You, know, you have to attack more to get to the free throw line. And it makes me think that as we move forward, you start to hear the stories about. Tyler Hero potentially returning for game two. So how much does that help the dynamic versus hurt it? Because he clearly can be a defensive deficiency, but the Heat are going to need some more offense here at some point. How do you balance that right now? Do I want to screw up or mess around with what has been working to get me to this point? Well, I mean, listen, I get that Tyler Hero is a liability defensively, but he can't be no worse than Duncan Robinson was last night. Duncan (laughs) Robinson had the best seat in the house. I mean, he's sitting there watching the Denver Nuggets offense at work. I I can't count the number of times where I'm seeing wing players for the Nuggets back cut, crash toward the paint, and then Jokic hit him for a pocket pass, and Duncan Robinson is just standing around watching. it, It was unbelievable to me. So you couple that with the fact that he wasn't making shots, and that guy was a net negative. So I can't imagine Tyler Hero being much worse. But one thing is obvious, they need more shot making. And Max Struess and Duncan Robinson and Caleb Martin, for as great as they've been at stretches during the postseason, those guys are role players. Tyler Hero, when he's healthy, is a part of the big three down in Miami. Like, he's a guy that you can lean on, rely on, to give you 20-plus on any given night. So I, I think there's a difference in terms of the shot-making ability, the play-making ability when he's in the lineup. Now, I don't think he's going to jump into being in the starting lineup, but I could see I could see Eric Spolstra bringing him off the bench when he becomes available, whether that's game two or game three. 
Here's Michael Wilbon on how he would work Hero back into the mix. You can bring him off the bench and use him in ways that can really only benefit you, even mm-hmm. if it's short term, right, Jalen? Yes. I mean, you don't want to disrupt what you've got and what you've built Correct. now over this postseason. But if you can put Tyler Hero in there, imagine if Tyler Hero can come in in game two or three and add eight to 12 points. That's a big jump and bump and a necessary one for Miami. To your point, he can't be worse defensively. And no. if they have a couple of more shots go down last night, this is a much different situation. It's yeah, a much different it situation. It is, but you also create a lot more space for Jimmy Butler to operate. And it was clear that the length of the Denver Nuggets was affecting him to some degree. So you need more space. And in order to space the floor property and give Jimmy more room, you got to have guys knocking down open shots. And yesterday you didn't have that. I mean, we talk about how the, the Nuggets defense usually runs opponents off of the three-point line. Well, it didn't necessarily do that last night. There were open looks. Miami's just got to knock them down. And so, again, I come back to this being a make-or-miss league. Now, Tyler Hero does give the Miami Heat more firepower, but the guys that he's that, that Eric Spolster is calling on, those guys have got to do a better job of making shots. Now, a guy that I think is a revelation for Spo is Haywood Highsmith. I thought oh, he yeah. gave them some really quality minutes off the bench, not just what he did offensively and being able to knock down shots, but what he did defensively in the fourth quarter, disrupting Jamal Murray. In that fourth quarter, Haywood Highsmith, primary defender on Jamal Murray, you're talking about him being plus 10 in the quarter while Jamal Murray was minus 10 in the quarter, and you're talking about Haywood Highsmith, being able to make shots by holding Jamal Murray to one of five from the field with one turnover. So to me, Haywood Highsmith as a disruptor for Jamal Murray has to be a bigger part of the game plan moving forward in this series. I feel good about my Miami Heat. I feel good about my Heat. Carlin for the culture. That's Heat culture. Let's go. Carlin for the culture. (laughs) Heat culture. (laughs) Heat culture. Yeah, exactly. Canty, I'll get the shirts made. You let me know. All right, there it is. Let's do it. Get a little merch going. Yeah. Canty and hey, Carlin. Hurry, up, hurry up and get them made quick, though. I don't know how long how long we're going to be able to wear them. <laughs> just saying. Can I'm we get saying, them in stores? Can we get them in stores by game two? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Canty and Carlin on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app were presented by Progressive Insurance. Looking for a career path with flexibility, great pay, and benefits? Go to progressive.com slash careers. Apply online today. We are in for Greeny in just moments. The NBA is holding on to an announcement that would overshadow the finals, but boy, it is going to be a long wait for one player to find out his fate. Jay Williams joins us next. It's Greeny on ESPN Radio and Sirius XM Channel 80. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back because with ebay motors you're burning rubber not cash with all the parts you need at the prices you want it's easy to turn your car into the mvp and bring home that win keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com eligible items only exclusions apply 
It's demon time on Prize Picks, where you can now win up to 100 times your money. That's right, 100 times your money. With as little as four correct picks, you can turn $10 into $1,000. Demons and Goblins are the newest and most exciting way to play at Prize Picks. Squares marked with red demons or green goblins get you different payouts. And as always, Prize Picks is really simple to play. You can make your picks and submit your entry in less than 60 seconds. They even offer injury insurance so that your entries stay in play even if one of your players gets injured. Quick withdrawals, easy gameplay, and an enormous selection of players and stats types are what make prize picks the number one daily fantasy sports app go to prizepicks.com slash greenberg and use code greenberg for a first deposit match up to 100 dollars. that's prizepicks.com slash greenberg code greenberg for a first deposit match up to 100 dollars. prize picks pick more pick less it's that easy Reggie White, who's a defensive end for the Green Bay Packers, says that the firebombing of his church in Knoxville, Tennessee this week was the work of racists who may have been trying to hurt him. First there was one fire, then there was another, then there was another. It wasn't just Reggie's church that burnt down. Hundreds of churches burned in the 90s. I think we have a major problem in our country that we don't want to admit, and that has to do with racism. Was this 1996 or 1956? 30 for 30 podcast and Antsgate presents Through the Flames. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Greeny, the podcast. You never heard the word yeah. sweep coming out of my mouth with Miami. This now one I you're think saying is different. Sweet. Yes, I'm saying I'm holding a broom in my hand today. The first ever NBA Finals game for the Denver Nuggets is a win. And the Nuggets take game one. Man who said that joins us, Canty and Carlin, in for Greeny, ESPN Radio, Sirius XM Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance. Jay Williams of Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max. You follow him on Twitter, at Real Jay Williams. He joins us right now. Uh, Jay, we appreciate it, brother. And after game one, how would you be feeling if you were Eric Spolstra in the Miami Heat? I mean, you feel fine, right, Carlin? Like, look, you, you kept the rebounding margin pretty much even. You didn't turn the ball over a ton. Your transition defense looked great. The reality is that you missed a lot of open looks. Now, you can make the case that due to the physicality of the game and the altitude, that takes away your legs. And I think there is a couple of days of adjustments that they can make. But I, I still feel okay if I'm Miami. Um, you know, I, I think my biggest takeaway, Carl, is the fact that I, I don't believe that Miami would have enough defense to stop the power of Denver's offense. But I do believe that the Miami offense has the ability to negate Denver's offense if they're able to knock down shots from the outside. This comes down to can Miami have a prolific three-point shooting spree and can they make shots in the perimeter because they're going to get looks just due to personnel and how physical this game is going to be in their spacing. So can they knock down looks when it matters the most? We'll find out on Sunday. Jay, this morning you talked about the Denver Nuggets front line size versus the Miami Heat, and you said it looked like a JV going up against a varsity in high school. Uh, can you expound on that and the impact that the Nuggets size had in game one against the Miami Heat? CC, this is something like people, you know, look, when you go down and you stand on the field of a, of a, of a Giants game or a Bears game, you know, for me, my rookie year, I was like, damn, these guys are massive, and they run just as fast as I can run. But you never really feel that watching it from the TV perspective. 
me understanding how big and how physical the Denver Nuggets team actually is, knowing that Aaron Gordon is six, uh, and Michael Porter Jr. is six eleven, knowing that you know KCP is six four and a half, six five with a six eight wingspan, Bruce Brown six four with a six nine wingspan. I've seen it. You witness it. So when you look at guys who are smaller, the likes of Gabe Vincent, and if Tyler Hero is able to come back at six three and a half, and Max Strews, who is six three and a half, they're going to look tiny. And one of the things that Miami was able to do starting their small lineup, they were able to exchange everything, switch everything. And Denver paid attention to that. So when Gabe Vincent finds himself on Aaron Gordon, you saw what Denver did last night. They're going to throw the ball down low. You know, when they switch off a pick and roll with Jamal Murray and Jokic, they're going to throw the ball down low. There's a reason why points in the paint in the first quarter was 20 to 6. So that's going to, I think Miami's going to play around and tour around with their, with their personnel here. I think you're going to see a lot more of Kevin Love in game two playing next to Bam to try to utilize that size and that strength to have Bam more as what you saw with AD as a free safety in the Lakers series. Jay Williams, Keyshawn J. Will and Max, 6 to 10 a.m. Eastern Time on ESPN Radio, ESPN2, ESPNU, joining Canty and Carlin. Uh, Jay, when you look at Tyler Hero in this situation, if you're the Miami Heat, the point has been made uh, throughout that they may be in a better defensive position through the playoffs without him on the floor. So how do you balance what the benefits are of returning Tyler Hero versus that? Well, in game two, I'm, I'm using him in limited minutes, and those limited minutes are filled in with spurt minutes, right? I, I'm telling him before the game, I need you to be a high-energy guy. I need you to be a bucket getter. I, I, I treat him a little bit like I'm not saying his game is similar, nor the style, because Jamal Crawford's style is very, very different. But their abilities as in to create energy and give us offensive explosion. I, I think this is sometimes a heat team where it becomes a little bit difficult if shots aren't being knocked down from the outside. And really the only two players guard-wise, I mean, Gabe Vincent is, is, is a really good player. But a guy that can do it off the dribble and get into those gaps and take those confident shots are Jimmy Butler and Tyler Hero. He's a 20-point scorer. So I think I use him in those spurt-like minutes in game two before potentially, you know, game three, game four, increasing his minutes load uh, exponentially because you're going to need him and his scoring punch to be in the game. But limited time crawling off the top. Jay, last night we saw Jokic and Murray both go for 20-plus points and 10-plus assists, joining the likes of duos like Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan or James Worthy and Magic Johnson in terms of what we've seen in the postseason in the NBA Finals. Just how good is this duo when you look at it from the perspective of the all-time best duos in NBA history? I mean, look, I, I think Jokic is one of the most special players the game of basketball has ever seen. I said it today on our show. I, I think when you think about transformative players, and obviously LeBron is in that category, uh, but Steph, right, changing the geometry of the game. And then I, I've been trying to tell people, I know Joel Embiid, people are saying he's more deserving of the MVP, but I'm like, he's not the same caliber of big that Jokic is. Jokic is the, is the best offensive weapon in the league. He makes everybody better. He makes everybody better. So... You know, and, and Jamal Murray, when it's all said and done at the end of this year, he'll be a top 15 player in the league. I, it's going to be hard for you not to rank him top 15. And the impact that Jokic has on the game, I mean, the guy had five shots going into the fourth quarter, ended up with, ended up with a 27-point triple-double, mm. CC, right? Mm. He controlled 
three quarters of the game without scoring. And that's what makes him elite. So I, I think the passing ability, the IQ, also, I mean, we, we joke around with this sometimes as a guard. When do you ever see bigs lead huddles? And I'm just not talking from a talking perspective. I'm talking from, like, breaking down a play. Give me the clipboard. I'm going to draw a play. Like, Jokic in his prime is drawing plays for Michael Malone on the sideline. We saw that in the last series. So the IQ is LeBron James-like with a style of play that is unorthodox in today's uber-elite athleticism in the game. His athleticism is hand-eye coordination and footwork, which is superior to anybody else in the game of basketball right now. Jay, well, uh, Adam Silver yesterday uh, having his press conference before the finals begins, and he dropped uh, basically what I think announced a, a mini bomb into what might be coming for John Morant. Let's take a listen. In terms of the timing, we've uncovered a fair amount of additional information, I think since I was still asked about the situation. And went on to say that they are going to wait until after the finals to announce their decision because they didn't want to take anything away from these players. Uh, I would use the word ominous when I hear that. What is your takeaway from Adam Silver having to say that before the finals even start? Fair amount of additional information. Uh, makes me very concerned about John Moran. And the reason why I'm going to back Adam Silver here, I was the first to say when the first incident happened that I thought the NBA was being too lenient on John Moran. I thought there was a bigger message that I thought the NBA was going to send. But I've known Adam Silver for a long time. He's a Duke grad. And he's always been a player-centric-like commissioner, whether it was the way he handled Donald Sterling, whether it was the way he handled Robert Server. He's always been on the player side, and there, there's a tendency for me to believe that Adam would go out of his way in a series of conversations to make sure that both Ja and his team recognize the importance of Ja cleaning up this type of behavior, uh, especially for somebody that could be the face of our league one day. And to me, that was Adam Silver saying, no longer am I going to enable or take part of enabling this process. I. There's nothing more I could really do than to tell the world, like, this is going to be a severe punishment. We are going to wait. And to me, that's Adam Silver sending a message to John Morant that this is serious now. And me trying to help you, um, you're going to need to help yourself. It's almost like a parent talking to a child. That's what I felt Adam Silver was in that position. Jay, have an awesome weekend, man. Appreciate it. All right, boys. You too. Jay William. Jay Williams from Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max, weekday 6 to 10 a.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio and ESPN2. Greeny is presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive can help you protect your home, auto, boat, motorcycle, ATV, RV, and more. And if something wasn't mentioned that you had in mind, find out if it can be covered at Progressive.com or 1-800-PROGRESSIVE because it probably can be. Canty, it's not good for John Moran. I don't think an entire year suspension is off the table. Well, yeah, when you make the commissioner look like a fool and when you say that you have a level of contrition and you understand the gravity of what you did and how it impacts others adversely, you'd like to not do the same exact thing weeks later, right? I mean, it was an eight-game suspension. I'm with Jay. I thought Silver should have been way more heavy-handed than he was with the initial discipline, but because he wasn't, he opened the door for John Morant to, to do this again and get caught on social media with this again, 
didn't he didn't learn from his previous mistake. It didn't curb the behavior in terms of the punishment that they issued. And as a result, now we're going to be talking about a significant suspension. I mean, I think on the lighter side, big fella, not to speculate too much, but we're talking about at least half a season, right? Oh, yeah. If this was a 20-game suspension, if you're talking about a quarter of the season, I think that's something that everybody would have anticipated. Nobody would bat an eyelash. That, that wouldn't be something that would overshadow the NBA Finals. But because Adam Silver came out yesterday and said that he didn't want to bring it to a head until after the Finals, out of fairness to the teams and the players that are participating in the Finals – that leads to me to believe that it's going to be a much more significant suspension. And like you said, I don't know that an indefinite suspension, taking him off the court for a year, is off the table. You know, one other thing that I've heard lately, and I don't want to make too big a thing of it, but it bothers me, uh, you know, the, the argument that Ja didn't do anything illegal. Hey, first of all, in Denver, he did. And secondly, for those who believe that, that's fine. But what he did do was violate rules for the company that he works for and for the images that they are trying to project. So no matter what that is, he nobody is saying that Ja can't ever work again. It's just for a while you're not going to work here because these are our rules and you have to abide by those. Yeah, it's a private entity. It's a private business. Yep. And the question is, are you good for business? Right now, Ja Morant's not good for business. Think about this. Nike has a signature shoe for Ja Morant that they launched this spring. They pulled the damn shoe off their website. So it's not just the NBA saying that John Morant ain't good for business right now. Nike is saying John Morant ain't mm. good for business right now. And they got a, a, a what is it, a nine-figure shoe deal with them. Jeez. Like, what are we talking about? Like, like, I think people need to get past it or get over themselves. Take your fandom out of it and just look at it objectively. If this is a business that you're running, and your employee is engaging on these types of behaviors on social media, do you think that that employee is going to do so, or could potentially do something that will adversely affect your business? Yes. There's a reason why when you interview for a job, one of the first things employers do, they check your social media to see what you're doing, to see the behaviors you're engaging in. And if they're behaviors that don't align with the morals and values of the company and the overall goals, then guess what? You ain't getting the damn job. <laughs> well, it's the same situation with John Morant and the NBA. Canty and Carlin, ESPN Radio, ESPN app. We are in for greedy. We are presented by Progressive Insurance. In moments, the reason the Celtics need to hold on to their superstars that no one is really talking about, and it's the most important reason. Greeny, ESPN Radio, and the ESPN app. Death is the only punishment here. Now streaming, FX's Shogun. My master asks, what do you seek here? To vanquish our common enemies. Based on the global bestseller by James Clavell. War is coming. The epic saga of war, passion, and power. Let it come. FX's. Shogun, now streaming on Hulu. Greeny, the podcast. Nikola Jokic was in the zone last night, 27, 14, and 10 in the zone. Brought to you by AutoZone. Get in the zone, AutoZone. Canty and Carlin in for Greeny on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app, Sirius XM 
Channel 80. Yesterday, Brad Stevens of the Celtics, speaking up for the first time since the end of the season, uh, said that Joe Missoula will return as their coach next year. Here he is on Jalen Brown's future with the team. Jalen had a great year, all-NBA year. He's a big part of us moving forward in our eyes. And he was went on to basically be effusive in his praise of him, expects him to be there for a long time. Um, Canty, it's interesting. When you factor that in and the debate about whether or not those two guys can win a championship together, mm. one thing that maybe we we didn't get into earlier in the week was the notion that when you look around the Eastern Conference, who would be the team that you would definitively say has the brightest future over the next three to four years? There are a couple of contenders. First, I put the question to you. If you had to pick one, who would it be? Oh, man, it's hard to pick against the Boston Celtics, right? You're talking about the duo of Tatum and Brown being together for six years and having four Eastern Conference Finals appearances and getting to the NBA Finals two years ago, I mean a year ago. So, I mean, it's hard to go against them, especially when you look at the regression of the rest of the conference. Yeah, maybe we haven't seen the progress that we want, from Tatum and Brown, but they haven't fallen off like everybody else. Like, who knows what's going to happen with the Sixers this offseason? James Harden could potentially defect in free agency. Who knows what's going to happen with the Milwaukee Bucks? They got a brand new coach, and we don't know that Giannis is going to sign the contract extension that he's eligible for this summer. Like, who knows what ends up happening with the Miami Heat? Like, there, there are so many question marks around the other teams in the Eastern Conference. The New York Knicks are still star-searching. They haven't been able to land a big name um, with all of the draft capital and cap space that they can create. So, I, I, yeah, I think it's by default the Boston Celtics because they have two all-NBA players in the heart of their prime. Well, I'm with you, and it kind of kills me to say it. Because while I would want to ride it out for another year with Jalen Brown, I, I'm not convinced. I, I can sit here and tell you I'm not convinced. It's just the age of the players and the dynamic uh, possibilities of those two players uh, together and what they can do. I, I present one other team to you that, that you mentioned during a pre-show meeting, mm. and that's the Cleveland Cavaliers. Love Cleveland. Where do they fit in this picture in the East? Because if you were going to pick a team – that is on the rise, I think that's the team that you would pick. Oh, there's no doubt about it. I mean, you have an all-NBA player, a superstar in Donovan Mitchell. You have two other all-stars in Darius Garland, who's a 20-point game, 20-point-a-night scorer, and Jared Allen. You have Evan Mobley, who was all-rookie a year ago and then made all-defensive team this year. Then off your bench, you, you got um, – uh, you got your boy um, Karis LeVert, who used mm -hmm. to play for the Brooklyn Nets. So, I mean, you, you have a lot of young pieces there. The great thing about that team is the oldest core guy is 26 years old. I, I mean, how could you not love what the Cleveland Cavs are building? Like, it just seems like that's a team that is ascending, and they're going to have something to say about the Eastern Conference over the next half decade. They really will. And that's just attributed to how much I believe in Donovan Mitchell, who's the cornerstone that they're building around. Yeah, I, listen, I'm, I'm with you. They are on the way up. I still have trouble getting away from the Celtics because of everything that we just talked about there. All of the questions, frankly. Like, I, I can't point to somebody else and say they're going to be a big problem for the Celtics because I don't know what Giannis is thinking in Milwaukee. 
And I don't know what their plan is with Chris Middleton here, if he's definitively going to be back with Giannis. And if he's not, who else are they going to bring in with him? Then I have the Celtics where, as I've been thinking about it the last day or so, Chris, it's really, for me, more about the devil you know. You know? Mm. I, I, I understand what they are. I tried to make them better with Malcolm Brogdon this past year. What can I do to try to improve that situation overall? Because I do think there are some good tradable players in there. But when I have the left, and I, God, you know, you said it so perfectly the other day. The, the potential and the talent, you know, those are the things, the potential especially are things that could get you fired. But yeah. I, I look around that conference, nobody else has that talent. Nobody else has that talent. And i got to try to ride that as long as I can when nobody else appears like they are on my level, at least in that department. But let me ask you this question. Are the Miami Heat disproving that it doesn't necessarily take that much talent in order to get to NBA Finals? Because here's the thing. They, they've been to more NBA Finals over the last four or five years than the Boston Celtics have. Yeah, I, I get the idea. I'm, I'm asking the question. Because we, we operate under the assumption that talent rules above all else in the NBA. And yeah. while that's true to some degree, and that might be bearing itself out in the NBA Finals, we're just talking about getting to that stage. And, and well, it just feels like the Boston Celtics, based on the talent level, underachieve. And, and I'm not sure that anything about that is going to change moving forward even though we're uncertain about all of the moving parts in the rest of the Eastern Conference landscape. Well, to your point, like look at Denver right now. Denver's breaking through to get to the finals, and why are they doing that? Because uh, I think we would both say the supporting cast with Bruce Brown, with KCP, uh, these guys, it, it's just better. You, well, they're healthy, though. That's the yeah. other thing. Like Denver is healthy yep. for the first time since the bubble. Yep, like, think about Murray. it. Michael Porter Jr. and yep. and Jamal Murray weren't around last year. Yep. Like, like it's been you know it's been years since this team has been whole. And the additions of Bruce Brown this past offseason and KCP um, a little further back, like those have accentuated what the Nuggets' core is. But they haven't had their core intact for some time. So I think this is the first real season since the bubble that we're seeing those guys intact and in their primes playing at this level. And as a result. They've dominated the Western Conference playoffs fields, and they're on the way to dominating the NBA Finals. So this is what I'm saying about the Celtics, because, all right, it's a little different because the talent is healthier uh, yeah. there, but the Celtics have the talent. Do they put, can they put the, find the right pieces to put around them this offseason? Because the, the way they did it this past year didn't quite work out. But there are just so many questions elsewhere that I at least have to give it a chance. Well, yeah, and I'm with you. I think you do give it a chance because what else are you going to do? Jalen Brown wants the Supermax. You're going to give him that this summer. You can't trade him after he signs it for a calendar year. Jason Tatum is going to get the Supermax in summer of 2024. You're not going to be able to trade him for after a calendar year after he signs that. So you've got a two-year window to see whether or not these guys can make it work before you got to make some other decision. Thanks for listening to Greeny the Podcast. You can listen live each weekday morning at 10 Eastern on ESPN Radio or watch the show through the Watch tab on the ESPN app.
Also catch Greeny on Get Up weekday mornings at 8 on ESPN and also available wherever you get your podcasts.